And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70 celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg. I am joined in Zoom conference by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton and Tim I was just coming to appreciate all of the things I think Janeshwi Fargus can bring to this team. And now he too is injured. Yeah, I mean, it's the curse of center field for the Mets who have lost Brandon Nimmo, Albert Almora Jr., Kevin Pillar, and Janeshwi Fargus in short order in center field, leading Steve Cohen to to tweet out if, does anybody want to suit up for the Mets? Uh, it is May 25th as we record this. The Mets are on their fifth string center fielder who is Cameron Mabin uh who is 0 for 19 in the major leagues this season with the Mets uh with 11 strikeouts he is 4 for 58 in professional baseball uh this season because he was off to a rough start in AAA with the Cubs before the Mets uh got him for uh reportedly one dollar uh so that that is that is where they are um he's also not really defensively someone you want playing center field every day I mean I'm sorry to say it like earlier in his career maybe but uh he's not he is the guy they have playing center field, but I don't know that we could really call him a center fielder at this point. Right. That that is that is another issue uh, that that he's not exactly uh, Juan Lagares chasing down balls uh, in center field. You know, Juan Lagares. What's Juan Lagares up to? He's on he's, the Angels. Is he's, he is he's, he around? Is he available? He is starting for the Angels. That's the problem. Uh, yeah. He's, he's got a he's got a, a full time job himself currently. Uh, so the the Mets. You know, it was interesting on on Monday to to chat with Zach Scott. Uh, you know, his usual like start of homestand press conference. And he, you know, I think he gave uh, a little, some firmer timelines than we'd been getting uh, from, from Luis Rojas, in part because the team was back in New York. They can kind of do a, a little bit more medically in New York than they could on the road. But I think the, the big news out of that was that, uh, you know, the timeline for both Michael Conforto and Jeff McNeil is probably at least another month. You know, late June is what Scott said. He called them significant hamstring strains. We had talked about it on the podcast that that I thought, you know, based off of what the injuries looked like, that doesn't surprise me so much with Conforto, but I thought McNeil uh, would be back before then. Uh, so that that kind of puts more of a crunch on them. This is a team that uh, in 2018 and in 2019 uh, kind of collapsed in June. Uh, in 2018 in particular, I think they went 5-21 and 21 in June that year, which is like the worst record I've ever seen a team have in a month. Um and that, that basically subverted their entire season uh, in both of those years. They were able to bounce back a little bit in, in 19, but you know you, you always wondered what would have been had they survived June to a different extent. Uh, and now you've got June coming up, and like you can, you're, you're trying to plan for, you're not going to have your best roster for most of that month. How are you going to get by? Uh, and that's, that's, what, that's the task for, for Zach Scott and the Mets in the next couple of weeks, next couple of weeks. Yeah, I want to see the team get out of May first. It, it, like it, it's 
it's very easy. And and we say this, you know, speaking so gloomily as we have every every show for so long now due to these injuries, they're still in first place. Um and and uh above five hundred, but it's just so easy to imagine this particular incarnation of the New York Mets ripping off like eleven straight losses. They've got three in a row right now. Um, as we've mentioned. Uh, so many guys, and and you mentioned the sort of the the grim news on Conforto and McNeil. Brandon Nimmo's rehab had to be shut down. We we don't really know exactly what when he'll be back. Uh, still no sign of of Carlos Carrasco coming back. They said Noah Syndergaard while he's pitching. They want to get him five starts before he comes back. There is not a Pete Alonso. I don't think that we've spoken since Pete Alonso went on the disabled list. Like there is just. The injuries are piling up, and uh, outside of of just a a few of them, there's not a lot of uh, obvious light at the end of the tunnel. Right. You can kind of see Alonzo and J.D. Davis could be back by the time the team is in Arizona or at least San Diego next week. Uh, You know, a lot of people have wondered, like, why, you know, the the Mets have talked about playing J.D. Davis a little bit at first base in Syracuse, uh, and, and I think the fan base reaction has been like that he's he's in Syracuse only to work on first base. He is not healthy enough currently to return. So that that's why he's still down in Syracuse. The, mm-hmm. the hope is for him to string together some nine inning performances. You know, I think the, the thought was he, he had played nine innings on Saturday and hit a home run. If he had come back on Sunday and done that again, maybe he would have been back in New York on Monday. Uh, but he had a stiff neck on Sunday, missed the game that day. Every minor league team always has Monday off. Uh, so now you're you're probably starting over with him. Like maybe he plays Tuesday and Wednesday nine innings, and then maybe he's back by Friday uh, at the earliest. Uh, Alonzo's eligible Saturday. I'm guessing they would push that to at least Monday when they're on the road uh, because they want him to play a little bit uh, in a rehab setting beforehand. Uh, so I, I think when you think about like what this team is going to look like uh, over time. Uh, you can say, okay, Alonzo and Davis should be back by like June 1st. Seth Lugo should be back by that point as well. But what really concerns you, I think, going forward is the outfield because, uh, you know, you don't have a, a strict timeline for Nimmo. Zach Scott talked about how he's he's basically got to manage the pain of a nerve issue in the, in his finger, uh, mm-hmm. which is like, that's not a thing you want to hear. Uh, from, it's not good. You, yeah. you never want to hear a nerve issue. You don't want to hear nerve issue or you've got to manage the pain. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are those are not great signs for, for Nimmo. Don't I know it, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, Conforto and, and McNeil, who, you know, McNeil has obviously been their second baseman this year, but a guy who, if they needed to, they could plug into left or right field uh, are not going to be back for a little while. So it's, you know, we, we don't know Kevin Pillar and, and, and Albert Almora Jr. We haven't heard uh, time, you know, they're not doing anything beyond playing, you know, Almora's playing catch. <laughs> Pilar, Pilar is doing, just had surgery, is, yeah, you know, surgery so last, a few weeks last week, and is doing light non-baseball activities, which describes my daily existence, basically. <laughs> so, you know, you don't know who's going to play center field or right field uh, over the next several weeks, uh, and that's that's the question for this team: is is who can play those two positions for you and not be a black hole offensively? Because uh, you know, my guess is on on Tuesday night it's going to be Cameron Mabin and Khalil Lee. Uh, and and that's those guys have not done a whole lot for them offensively to this point. Very early in my uh, role as this show's co-host, we talked about 
players in spring training that we thought might be under the radar candidates. And and I brought up Drew Ferguson, a guy who who got some time in spring training early in spring training. And I had sort of seen as a as a, a guy who may have been overlooked in his time coming up through the minor leagues. Um, and I believe you pointed out accurately that that Drew Ferguson was like 19th on the Mets outfield depth chart chart at that point. <laughs> I failed to note that uh, I made that statement while holding a uh, a talisman I got from a, a creepy old man in a curio shop uh, of a of a monkey's paw, um, and all of a sudden it seems like maybe Drew Ferguson is knocking on the door uh, of playing center field for the Mets. Yeah, I mean you've got in in Syracuse you've got Drew Ferguson and Mason Williams, Mason Williams, Pawtucket's own Mason Williams, the the, uh, the former Yankee prospect. He, I mean, he's a center fielder, right? Like he, yeah. Yeah, like and, and he's, guys. he's gotten some major league run and been not terrible. I mean, you, you've always got to change your your you know you're not looking for like OPS pluses of a hundred and above for for players like the you know in this situ- situation you're looking for guys who have like they've given you an 89 OPS plus in 150 at bats in the major leagues before. Uh, the the issue with with calling up any of those guys is like they've got a real 40 man crunch because mm-hmm. I'm trying to do the math here. They've got 16 guys on the injured list. Uh, five of them are on the 60-day injured list, so they don't count towards the 40-man roster. Uh, so that's 11 guys on the injured list, plus your 26 active roster. That's 37. That gives you only three extra guys on the 40-man roster. So if you're calling, uh, you know, and and some of those guys are are guys that are prospects. Well, they're all pitchers who aren't in the major leagues right now. It's Tarpley, it's Sam McWilliams, and it's Thomas Zapucky. Those are not guys you want to... Uh, <laughs> designate for assignment so that Mason Williams can play center field for a week. Uh, so that that's an issue they're running into uh, is kind of just, ha- they've had so many injuries in such a short period of time. And so few of them seem like 60 day IL situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like you'd prefer it if one or two of those was a bit more serious uh, for, for, you know, one of the backup player, you know, if, if you're getting, uh, a starting center fielder back like Nimmo, then maybe you, you're okay with Almora missing lo- a longer period of time. Uh, but they don't have that situation to, to 60 day anyone at this point. So they might have, they might end up having to do that, but it's a real, it's a, they've got to juggle a lot of different things and they're, they're probably going to lose some players that they like. We've already seen them lose uh, like Daniel Zamora uh, to, to Seattle and Trevor Hildenberger to San Francisco. They've lost some players who they've, they've DFA'd. Uh, and that that's probably going to continue if they need to keep making roster space for players. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that that is definitely a, the case. But all of these guys they have added to the 40-man roster in the past couple of weeks, uh, a lot of them can probably safely be DFA'd. Like, a, you know, with all due respect to Cameron Maben, I'm not sure how... Uh, how concerned you are about losing a guy you 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 got for and that's I don't I don't want to I don't know about the dollar thing I you got for cash considerations uh, and not that I don't believe it I just uh, it feels mean to even say it um, but you know Cameron Maven was a guy who was available and there are guys like Cameron Maven available and he they I think that there's a route to making him available again which uh, which doesn't really kill the Mets moving forward, right? Like there's there, they have some wiggle room here. Yeah. You know what? Once you get a couple of infielders back, uh, you know, if, if Davis and Alonzo are back next week, it's a little easier to, to designate someone like Wil- Wilfredo Tovar because you'd have Peraza and VR and Davis and Lindor as, as middle infielders for you. 
Uh, and then, you know, Luis Guillorme is supposed to start a rehab assignment next week. So he'd be not that far down the road. You'd, you'd be able to, you know, it, it's really just like you've got to protect your, your outfield at this point. Uh, I think that's the concern moving forward uh, and trying to figure out a way to uh, stabilize it to some extent uh, until you get your, your bigger pieces back about a month from now. Yeah, if you DFA Wilfredo Tovar and someone takes him, I think you say, hey, good for Wilfredo Tovar and, and you know, happy trails. Unless, of course, it's the Dodgers who take him, in which case you say, like, oh, crap, what do we miss? Uh, now Wilfredo Tovar is going to make the next six all-star teams. Uh, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's not – the problem is – I don't think the problem is finding roster spot so much as it is – uh, finding someone worthy of a roster yes. spot. And and you looked at some of the options in, in a column for the athletic this week. And I will say I, I was uninspired. I, I was inspired by the writing. It was, it was great. <laughs> I was uninspired by the options you presented. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not going to trade for Chris Bryant on May 25th, uh, especially because the Cubs are over 500. Uh, so it's, it's really uh, trying to find, You've got to. It's got to be a perfect storm of three different things. You've got to find a a, a player who is good and useful for you, uh, b a player who is good and useful for you that happens to be on a team that is totally out of it at this point. Which you know, there's maybe you can probably point to like seven to maybe ten teams that that would feel totally out of it. I think there's seven teams that are seven or more games out of the playoffs uh, currently, and then you've got to find. Uh, that like that guy has to play for a team that's out of it, and that team has to be willing to take the reputational hit of trading him early. Uh, like you know, one of the guys I, I listed there was Brock Holt with the Rangers, mm-hmm. who you know, a guy who was a, a pretty useful piece for the Red Sox for a long time. Actually, made an All Star team in 2015 while playing, I think, every non pitcher catcher position for the team that year. Uh, you know, started on a World Series team, hit for the cycle in the playoffs. Like a, a useful player who can play all over. Uh, he's on the Rangers. He's their starting third baseman currently. Uh, the Rangers were 500 like 10 days ago, and now they're 10 games under 500. Uh, Brock Holt's not going to be the third baseman for them when they're good again. But do they want to trade a guy who who's from Fort Worth, who grew up right by the stadium, who's really likable and, and popular in their clubhouse? Do they want to trade him on May 25th for uh, a 19-year-old lottery ticket prospect? Um, because that that hurts your team dynamic. Like, it's... It's tough for teams to trade players in that situation if they're good and useful, uh, even if they're out of it. Like it sends a, a tough message not just to your fan base, but to your actual roster in the mm-hmm. clubhouse. Uh, so that's why I, you know I think the guy that stood out to me most on that list was probably Adam Frazier with the Pirates, because the Pirates, uh, you know, they're not a team that like entered this season thinking like, hey, we could win seventy-five to eighty games. They knew they were going to be probably the worst team in the National League along with Colorado. They've been that to this this point in the season, uh, and. Frazier is a guy who's not going to be there when they're good again. He's got a year and a half left on his contract, on his team control, uh, can play a bunch of different spots. He's playing well now, uh, probably a bit over his head. His OPS plus was like 138 coming into to Tuesday. Uh, that's a guy who would make some sense. He's not a great long-term fit for the Mets. He bats lefty. Uh, when McNeil and Conforto are back, he's not a part of your everyday lineup. Uh, he's probably not a part of your everyday plans in 2022 when he's still under team control the way some other guys might be uh, if you traded for them now, uh, the way like Brian Reynolds, his teammate, would be if you traded for him now. Right. Uh, but, you know, the Pirates aren't going to trade the 26-year-old guy who can play center field, who's a switch hitter, who's got four years of team control left. No, they'll, they'll trade you the uh, second baseman slash corner outfielder who's playing over his head and, and only has a year and a half left. 
so that that's like that's the type of talent I think you're looking for here. That's the that's the ceiling of what you might get on the trade market at this point in time uh, is my expectation. And and you mentioned you know he's not even a center fielder, right? So so it makes you think like okay, like it, it's kind of. I don't know that, you know, like it, it, it always depends on the deal, but like, I don't know how, how much you're going to be uh, like digging through prospects to find a trade for Adam Frazier when you're not even going to want to put him in center field once he gets here. Like they need someone who can defend that position. Yeah. It's and a that, big one. And, and, you know, we've talked about it in, in this past off season and, and in off seasons going back for years with the Mets is, you know, oh, like Brandon Nimmo's a better fit in a corner outfield spot. Let's find a center fielder who works, who, who plays both ways and and brings <laughs> brings value. And there's just not many of them. You know, it, it, you're really picking between uh, sacrificing uh, defense for offense there or vice versa. Uh, the Mets have chosen to, to sacrifice defense in the past. And Nimmo's actually been okay there so far this year. I think better than, than he was last year for sure. Uh, but there's just not that many guys available. And when you run through four of them in a month and they're like they're not the only team that's running through center field you know the white Sox have lost Luis robert uh, the yankees have lost aaron hicks there's other teams that can use center fielders the angels lost this dude who plays center field for them uh mike trout yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know it's like hey do you want juan lagaris no he's already starting in center field for a different major right. league team currently uh so that's it's, there's real scarcity at that position, you know, even more so than like we're used to talking about with catcher, uh, that it's it's really hard to find a guy that you can just throw out there to be competent defensively and hit 220 for you, really. Right. And I think at this point, as a Mets fan, I would happily take a guy who's not going to hit, who can at least play defense out there. But because if with Maven, I'm sorry to say, you're not getting a lot of both. Right. It's not like, oh, like like Nimmo, where we can we can handle a little bit of defensive defensive inadequacy because he's going to hit so well. Uh, I don't know that you're getting like and and even and with with Janeshwi Fargus, I think you could say like, hey, like, you know what? Like, he's not going to hit a ton, but like he has the range for center field. I and mean, we saw that he made that incredible catch. It looked like he got a, a good jumps on balls. Um, right now, it doesn't seem like they have either of those things. And I just feel like you got to be able to find one. Right, you got to be able to find one. Yeah, and uh, uh, I'll continue looking to. I'll continue I just went down. I just went down to to double A right now. Uh, <laughs> the at the Binghamton Rumble Rumble Ponies uh, are playing in center field. Wagner Lagrange, which is a real name of a guy <laughs> who's not a like from a Western. Uh, he's he has a 646 OPS and a 276 on base percentage. I have no idea if he can if he can defend center field. Uh, and Desmond Lindsay, a guy who was a bigger prospect for the Mets a few years ago, uh, but he is off to a miserable offensive start. He is three for 29, although two of his three hits have been doubles. But uh, a one a 103 batting average, a 385 OPS. So it's not like there's some obvious fit from within the system. Uh, and so I guess I will hold out hope for, for Drew Ferguson, uh, who I believe can be the second coming of Jeff Duncan. <laughs> oh, God. Jeff Duncan and Brandon Tyner. Remember the, the, those uh, were the Tyner. days. Jason, Jason Tyner. Sorry, yes, yeah. Jason Tyner. Uh, uh, Jason Tyner got a couple major league years. I mean, it was, I think it was with the Rays, but I, I, I think he had a, a few seasons. Like, he, he had a, a viable major league career, um, sort of. But yeah, that was those those were the days. Was it was it Jeff Duncan who had like 
back-to-back two-hit games to start his career. He and started I, his I thought career. he was going to be really good, and then he was like, within a week, he was hitting 100 again. Yes. Um, he started, it was a little bit longer than that. I want to say it was like a 10-game stretch where he had like a 600 on base percentage because he had a bunch of hits, but he also was just walking a ton. And it was, uh, I I remember talking, I remember talking about it in my my friend Eric's backyard. And so I know it would have been like 2003 or 2004. I want to say it was 03 when they called up Duncan. Um, and uh, he, he, yeah, he had like 10 games. And then it was, it was, it was like peak money ball era. Like when everybody was f- fully aware of like the value of walks and Jeff Duncan came up and was just like walking every single time. And I guess eventually the, the pitchers figured out like maybe we should just throw the ball over the plate to Jeff Duncan. And all of a sudden he, uh, yeah, he went in the tank. Yeah. The, 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 uh, 2002 to 2004, that was a, that was a, uh, a dark period. Uh, yeah. It was, a, I mean, luckily it was like, especially the two, 2004 is like the one year of, of my life really. Like since, since 1986, when, when I was too young to really follow the team, 2004 is like the one year I was just, I was like, I was in a band and I, I, I was doing other stuff. I was like, I just wasn't that tapped into the Mets. So people refer to stuff that happened in 2004. And it's like, nope, I don't, that's the one year I just don't remember anything. And I think, I feel like I picked a good year to skip. Yeah. Like t- 2010 to 2014. So I was, I was covering other baseball teams, which means it's hard to watch the Mets play baseball. Yeah. Uh, and so that is all just like one big, long single season to me. It's like, uh, they were playing Ruben Tejada at short the whole time. Lucas Duda was the number four hitter the entire time, playing every different position. Uh, and and they they had a different catcher every year. And Dylan G was part of the rotation the entire time. And that that is that is those teams to me. Like I don't, I'm not able to differentiate between them the way I could give you like you know really big distinctions between '99 and 2000 or '06 and '07. I mean, I could spend a lot of time talking about the 2010, and by by 2013, I was at USA Today. But the but 2007 to 2012 Mets, when I was at SMY, I could I could tell you the distinctions between the 2010 and 2011 teams for sure. Uh, but the Mets are again hard to watch. So and so there is a connection to that era, um, except there is such good news, and and we've danced around it a little bit. And we're speaking on Tuesday morning. And a momentous occasion we have been awaiting for is set to uh, occur. Uh, and I knock on wood and I cross my fingers because a lot can happen between Tuesday morning when we record this and, and 7, 10 p.m. on Tuesday evening when the Mets play. But uh, there is at least one little bit of very good news. What is it? Well, Jacob, Jacob Degrom's gonna. Pitch. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Jacob Degrom yeah. is pitching on Tuesday. I was, night. I was like, I was like, oh no, did I get this wrong? Is he pitching next Tuesday? <laughs> <laughs> you never know with with the way things have gone. Uh, yeah, you you know, Degrom. I think to get really comfortable as a Mets fan, you'd have to see him like go out and pitch seven innings and and be okay and not walk off in the uh, fifth. You know, yeah, right. I mean, obviously, yeah. But the, it, you know, like I, I looked this up as a a joke for a tweet was like, oh, you know, like the lineup could really use Jacob deGrom coming back. But actually based off uh, like Fangraph's uh, compilation of like offensive value, Jacob deGrom is the second most valuable offensive player currently healthy on the Mets roster uh, behind. Bad him lead off. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> he's behind noted offensive slugger Tomas Nito. Uh, like those are their two best offensive performers in 2021 who are, uh, who will be on the active roster for Tuesday night's game. Uh, so yeah, like 
you could make a case for hitting Degrom. I, I was actually like I was going to say I said I wasn't seventh, kidding, but you know? I was kidding. I was kidding, but I'm only. But I'm like, it's like kind of kidding, right? I, I don't know. It's a it's hyperbolic rather than ironic or something, uh, it, right? Like he he can put the ball in play, and I'm not 100 percent convinced that that many of the other members of the Mets lineup can. Yeah, you know, if you have Mabin and Lee in the lineup, like you might make a case that like Degrom should should hit ahead of both of them. Uh, so, but, but his return, like, you know, Luis Rojas has not said, has not like complained too much about all the injuries. He's, he's kind of, you know, there've been kind of like, yeah, it, it just keeps happening. Kind of quotes. The only player that he's like explicitly missed is Jacob deGrom. You know, I, I think at one point when they had won, I forget if it was the, the game in Miami, uh, that, that went 12 innings or, uh, one of the wins in Atlanta, you know, every win that they have feels like it takes so much out of them to get it. Uh, at this point, uh, where he was just like, you know, and we're and and we're doing this without Jacob Degrom. It it we 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 miss Jacob Degrom a lot. Like it's been tough without Jacob Degrom. Uh, yeah, and it's just you think of how much easier he makes it. Not just the night he pitched, and this is with the Mets like not capitalizing fully uh, on what he brings uh, over the last four years. Uh, but he makes it so much easier that night for them because uh, he is the best pitcher in the world. But also like it makes it a little easier the night before because you can use your bullpen a little bit more aggressively mm -hmm. and presumably the night after because most of those guys are, are a little bit rested. Uh, so he's, he's one of those pitchers who, while he's only playing once out of every five, he's affecting more games than that because of his your ability to rely on him going deep into games. You know, Maybe he's not at that point now because he's coming off the IL. Uh, we'll see if he has a pitch count. You know, He only threw, I think it was four innings. Uh, was it three or four innings in the rehab start in St. Louis? I guess three innings, right? Uh, faced ten guys and struck eight of them out. Uh, uh, I believe you. You would know that better than I would, so I will defer to you. I'm trying to make sure I don't confuse it with Syndergaard. Syndergaard's was four. Uh, yeah. So you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if this is a, a five and out kind of outing for him, or, or maybe even shorter than that. Uh, that you you know that he's going to be on a, a tighter pitch count uh, than he would be otherwise. But going forward, having him back, like I'm less concerned about the rotation because you've got Degrom coming back. Uh, Taiwan Walker doesn't seem like it should be that long an absence. Uh, yeah, we said that before. We've said that before. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, what true. happened to Luis Guillorme? Where is he? <laughs> um, right, that wasn't going to be that long an absence, and now he's just like dis now he's like it seems like he's just disappeared. I mean, I said obliques tend to linger, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is is, yeah. is what's gone on there. Um, and and actually, I, I should should note at that point that you know Taiwan Walker is dealing with a side issue. That's that's the yeah. same area. Uh, as an oblique, basically. Uh, so, so maybe that that's a bit problematic. But I, I worry a bit less about their starting rotation than I do. Mm -hmm. but just uh, again about like having three outfielders throughout. The reason Dom Smith is not playing first base is because they just need a, a warm body who can play the outfield. And Smith has actually played left field quite well. So uh, that that's why he's playing there still. And the pitching's been great. I mean, even with without Degrom. I think you have to give it's so easy and we so frequently like just kill managers for for every bad bullpen decision. It's a lot easier, obviously, when when just about everyone in your bullpen is is pitching well. But it does feel like Rojas has been largely pushing the right buttons. I think there was some rightful criticism of how quickly he pulled Joey Lucchese over the weekend uh, when Lucchese was finally having a really good outing. But I think. Uh, the logical counter argument to that is just like, well, it, you've seen how Joey Lucchese had done earlier this season, and you would obviously like to get that guy out of the game 
on a good note when when he's before it's it's gone awry. Um, and then there was uh, certainly listening to the the Mets radio broadcast. They were they were on Rojas a little bit for for leaving Jordan Yamamoto in for as long as as he did in Sunday's game, but. Uh, Yamamoto did after allowing the five runs, he did settle in and give him a couple more innings. Um, I don't know. I don't And, and it wasn't like the, you know, he walked a guy and he hit a guy, but he, he, it was a, an infield, an infield single or an, an error and a, and a bloop. Um, it wasn't like he was just getting completely tagged or it didn't feel that way from the radio broadcast. So, um, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to get on, I wouldn't get on Rojas for either of those. And I would just say like, if we blame the manager when it all goes awry with the pitching staff, got to say this guy's doing a pretty good job cobbling together uh pretty good pitching performances from a staff that has been decimated by injuries just as and not quite to the extent that the offense has but still very much decimated by injuries yeah i mean they they, they just went through a turn where they only had two healthy starters until Degrom comes back tonight uh it's it's stroman and peterson basically uh and you know they they entered monday i didn't check after the peterson outing uh, but their 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 starters ERA was 3.01, which was tied for fourth in baseball. It was the best. Uh, the top three teams are all in the NL West in, in San Diego, LA, and San Francisco. But I think it was tied with the White Sox for uh, the, the fourth best in baseball. Their staff ERA overall, including the bullpen, was around 3.3. That was also mm-hmm. good for fourth in baseball. Uh, so I, I think that speaks to the, the depth they've accumulated there, that the bullpen has pitched really well. Uh, and, you know, I think we can have our, our problems with, with how Rojas has managed individual instances. I didn't have a problem with the Lucchese thing because, like you mentioned, like I think earlier uh, one of the issues was that they weren't getting him out quickly enough because things have snowballed on him. Like You look at it. I actually did the math the other day, and I'm going to try to pull it up here because uh, one of the things I like to look at, and we mentioned it last, last time or two, uh, was like the percentage of one, two, three innings that guys have. Uh, and Lucchese... Uh, actually has, uh, I, I opened the wrong file, sorry. I think it's like 42% of his innings have been one, two, three innings. And it's like once he allows someone on base, uh, yeah, it is 42. Oh, good on me. Uh, 42% of, of his innings Congrats. have been one, two, three innings. And when he does allow a guy on base, it generally leads like a three-run inning. And, and so he was getting close to that third time, third turn through the order that we has been an issue for him in the past. I, I was fine with, with that when you had, uh, you know, they didn't lose that game because they, they took Joey Lucchese out at that stretch. I was also fine with Yamamoto because at that point, I feel, I feel like that game was kind of lost already. You're just trying to look for, for innings uh, when you've got... Once you, let up, once you let up five runs when you have no one who can hit, like, it, that's it. Like, even even in, in Monday night's game, when they when they went down three, you're like, this, this is so... Like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's unfortunate, but it's really hard to envision the Mets scoring three runs against Austin Gomber. Yeah, like, you know, the record is so good. It's, what, 17-4 and four or something like that when they score at least four runs, uh, which, like, the thing that really jumps out at you is like, oh, man, half their games, they're not scoring even four runs. Yeah. Uh, and over the last 10, where they're 3-7, and seven, I think they've scored 29 runs. So under three per game, it's four in the last three games. Uh, and that was, you know, with the big uprising last night in the, la- the later innings Monday night with, with the solo home runs from... McCann and Drury. Actually, uh, you know, I said earlier that I thought Maven and Lee would be playing in the outfield. It wouldn't surprise me if we see like Brandon Drury playing in the outfield. He would have been there in extra innings on Monday night. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a, a way to try to get a little bit more pop in there. But uh, that that's those are the kinds of things they have to start considering just because the offense has been so uh, so quiet. Maybe James McCann can play center field. <laughs> I mean, he was uh, he was inserted at first base despite never having played it, and and there and. 
uh, Rojas was like, yeah, he's he's familiar with it, which is like yeah, everyone's familiar. Like I'm familiar with first base, right? I ju- but I can't play it in a major league game. And then McCann made a brilliant play in like the first inning. Yeah, like like ranging so far, like that was he made a play at what is conventional second base essentially. Yeah, it was uh, like a gold glove caliber defensive play. Like and, and so it was like if I were him, I would be like, I'm never playing first base again in my life. Just let me live with that one, and everyone can go on thinking I might be the like a first base defense savant. Yeah, like he should have just pulled the George Costanza raised tense that I'm out. That's it. Right. I'm doing yeah. one for one. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, we got a question from uh, listener Doug, and and this is an interesting one. He he brings it up. Uh, you wrote a, a profile for of Zach Scott back in the in the Halcyon days when the Mets only had like fifteen guys on the disabled list. Uh, you had a nice profile of GM Zach Scott for for the Athletic. Um, you mentioned in it, and this is what Doug says. He says in it. Tim talked about Scott's involvement in the Red Sox deliberations about whether to trade Nomar Garcia Para at the trade deadline in 2004, but Tim did not share what position what position Zach took on that trade in those meetings. I'd love to know where he stood at the time and why. Yeah, so uh, I, you know I'm, I'm taking uh, Zach's word on this, uh, but his his conversation about that was that he was pro trading Nomar Garcia Para at the trade deadline in 2004, not just because he had uh, a gig to get to down the block to, to play the the harmonica for the band Budahead uh, later that night at Paradise Rock Club, um, but uh, you know he had done a lot of his work at like Diamond. Wait, Mines. he was in a band called Budahead. So he was he was not like a the, a set member of the band, but when the band like he had a, a high school buddy who was in the band who played the bass, uh, and when they were in uh, New England or New York, uh, a lot of times Scott would join them for a couple of songs. They had actually written a song for Zach Scott to play the harmonica on, uh, and then because the, their record label also had John Popper, who is the only harmonica player that I think anyone can name. Uh, no, Toots Toot Steelemans. <laughs> uh, great jazz, uh, great jazz musician, uh, harmonica player. But go on, I've got, I've got, I've got deep. Like I could, I could, I could get some deep jazz pulls when, when I, mean, I need you, you were also in a band at around 03 and 04, I have learned. I very so. much was, yeah. Um, but we weren't called Buddhahead, although we might have been. Um, but, so, but yeah, go on. So, so because Buddhahead was on the same label as as John Popper, you know, the guy from Blues Traveler. Uh, that John Popper is the guy who and, and, you know, recorded the harmonica part of the song for them. 
But whenever they they toured, they would have Zach come in and play the John Popper part. And actually, and that means like, you could rip on the harmonica if you can play the John Popper part. So that's pretty impressive. The uh, the, the members of the I reached out to, to several different members of the band. It, it you know Budahead uh, has since disbanded. Uh, the, his high school friend is uh, is no longer in music. Uh, but uh, you know they they said like he was he was really really good on the harmonica. Like you know you he was almost as good as John Popper. Uh, to play to play that part. Uh, so that was the context of the night, you know, that that Scott had something else to get to, and he was just, like he was an intern in the Red Sox front office. They, I don't, I don't think at that point he had a yeah that that was his first year in the Red Sox front office. He didn't have like a set position, but front offices were so much smaller then that he's part mm-hmm. of the the group making having that conversation and kind of Theo Epstein's style was well, Zach, you you want to make the deal. This other person in the front office doesn't. Why don't you two debate it? And the other person might be the assistant general manager who's been in the sport for 20 years. And here's a guy who's in his first year as an intern. Uh, and they'd go back and forth. And I, I think what he, what Scott said was concerning to him with, with Garcia Parra was like his defensive metrics. Because kind of primitive defensive metrics at that time that uh, Tom Tippett at Diamond Mind, uh, who ended up consulting for the Red Sox for a while and, and who Scott got his first job in baseball with. Uh, mm-hmm. Like he was very good at developing defensive metrics that were kind of ahead of even the industry at that time. Uh, and one of the things that they thought through with defensive metrics is when a guy is getting worse defensively, it usually means an injury is there that you just don't know about yet. Uh, and so Garcia Parra's defensive metrics internally had been uh, significantly worse in 2004. So they were concerned about his health the rest of that season and moving forward. So that's why they were a bit more aggressive in shopping him at that time. That's why Scott himself... Uh, was was good with dealing him uh, that July 31st night. And the deal brought them Orlando Cabrera, who wound up having a, a, a really nice half season for them and, and uh, in, in the midst of his, his very long career. Yeah, you, I, I forget exactly how that trade broke down because they got Cabrera and Mankiewicz, but Mankiewicz might have been a different different. It was a three-way trade. deal. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it, it was was a three-way deal. Uh, they had, I heard, I just had it up. Um, they traded it's, there's like so many names involved in this trade. It it was, uh, sort of a, a wild one. Um, and I guess that was, that was, that would have been like the last year of the Expos too, right? That, so, um, so who knows what, what was Mo, if, was that Omar Minaya making that deal? Um, it was, uh, he was traded by the Red Sox with Matt Merton. Um, and, and like sort of one of those classic AAA lifer guys who always seem to perform better than, than most AAA guys and never really got a long major league opportunity, wound up going overseas, playing pretty well, I think in Japan. Uh, yeah. So he was traded with Matt Merton to the Cubs, Garcia Parra. The twins were in the deal, sent Mankiewicz to the Red Sox. The Expos sent Cabrera to the Red Sox. The Cubs sent Francis Beltran, Alex Gonzalez, and Brendan Harris to the Expos. And the Cubs sent a minor leaguer named Justin Jones to the Twins. So just a, a ton of guys flying around everywhere. But the the main thing for the Red Sox was they gave up Merton and and Garcia Parra and got back Mankiewicz and, and Cabrera. I always forget that he went to the Cubs first. Like mm-hmm. I always think that I was like, yeah, like Garcia Parra was traded to the Dodgers because that's right. where I remember him being decent uh, a couple of years later when they played the Mets in the the NLDS. But uh, and and you know the Red Sox had all of their big trades are with the Dodgers. That's where they sent Manny. That's where they sent. Carl Crawford and Josh Beckett yeah. and Adrian Gonzalez. Uh, but yeah, it was it was Chicago that year. Well, it's an interesting question. Thanks to Doug for asking it. What do you think it means now? Do you think it matters now? Or, or is it just an indication that 
this guy, Zach Scott, didn't appreciate Red Sox history and Nomar Garcia Parra's role therein, or was he a visionary, or was he was it just a stroke of, of good luck that he was on the right side of history there? Uh, I, I think it speaks to, you know, I, I talked to, to Ben Charrington, uh, who, who was in the Red Sox front office at that time, uh, uh, higher up than, than Zach was, uh, and eventually became Boston's general manager, is now in Pittsburgh as the general manager. Uh, and he said the strange thing is, like, at that point in time, Zach was like the only objective voice in the room, like the guy who's just leaning on the numbers. Here's what the numbers uh-huh. are saying. Uh, and, you know, everyone else had this kind of subjective view and Nowadays, a lot of it is the opposite. You have a lot more objective views, and it's hard to find really good, trustworthy, subjective views. Uh, but uh, I think it speaks to like that's the way he approaches things, and and that uh, he can lay out an argument in kind of a, a rational, well reasoned way that can sway people who are uh, above him. Uh, now you know, then it was the entire front office uh, had higher ranking positions. Now it's just Sandy Alderson uh, and and I guess Steve Cohen. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Uh, there's fewer people to convince uh, if he wants to do something. I think it, it does speak to, you know, there's not going to be a lot of sentimentality necessarily. I don't I don't know how that plays into what the Mets might do. I don't, I don't you know, there, there's no equivalent to Nomar Garciaparra currently on their roster, I don't think, uh, at the moment, you know, because Jacob deGrom is still uh, really, really good. Uh, so... Uh, I don't. I don't know how that plays into it, but you know, this, he does not have the connection with with the players and the team that he did even in Boston. That was his first season, but he had grown up a Red Sox fan and had followed the team pretty closely for most of his life. Uh, so I, you know, I think he he knew what Nomar Garcia Parra meant to that fan base to begin with. Uh, and so I, I think he it just shows it that he's going to be objective about things. Uh, and I, I thought it was interesting, like the urgency that he expressed even yesterday in his press conference was more than you usually get from a general manager at this time of the year. I like when the Red Sox isn't a side. I like when the Red Sox have players that like force to that force the exposure. Uh, no more Garcia Barrett being the most classic example of this that like just forced the, the New England accent out. And and uh, and so I feel like Xander Bogots sort of like maintains that that tradition a little bit. I loved the Jerry Remy pronunciation of Daniel Naver uh, when he was there. Like, like it was the yeah. the, the way the way it's it's all like you know the the ARs get just A's and the A's get the R back when they when right. they don't have it. Uh, right. There's a, like a, no one listening to the game would have had any clue how to spell his last name. Uh, if you have a question for the Metrospective podcast, please. Uh, email it to us or tweet it at us. You can email me at asktedberg at gmail.com. Uh, a lot of people seem to appreciate that we offer the email address because not all of our listeners are on Twitter, but if they are, you can get at, at us at Tim Britton. That's Tim. That's not me. I'm at OG Ted Berg. Um, we have a, a, several people who are very excited to hear that we read books. Um, we do read books and, um, and, uh, we, you know, we like feedback of all types. So please rate, review, subscribe, wherever you can do those things. Thank you as always for listening, Tim, ideally the next time we speak, we will at least be able to say like, oh, it's good to have Jacob deGrom back in the rotation. Knock Did I just jinx? I just jinx. Uh, you, you're, you're the one. You're the one with the talisman and the monkey paw and all that. I so. did. Do you know that I once asked before before a game? I asked Eddie Coons about how he hadn't allowed a home run since like his junior year of high school or some ridiculous stat. And then in that game, in like the first batter he faced, he allowed a home run, which was like 
then I had to go. I went and apologized to him afterwards. <laughs> so like I'm, I like in the, I was just like I'm so sorry, dude. And and he was he was totally cool about it. But what was worse was then it tanked the video segment that we did about how <laughs> Eddie Coons hadn't allowed a home run in so many years. The, so I'm a jinx. I'm a the jinx. Gr- the great example of that on the Mets beat. I have to look up the exact circumstances, but this is this is years ago. Anthony DeComo had tweeted something about how like the Mets have gone the long, like are an inning away from setting a major league record or a franchise record for not balking, and then like literally 30 seconds later they balked, which is uh, that's amazing. So, you can never. I mean, you can yeah, never predict amazing. a balk. That, that that is truly amazing. Um, we will be back. Later this week, the Mets have have two more with the Rockies coming up, and we will certainly talk all about them. Tim, peace out. Adios. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.